Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good afternoon everyone and to our author, good morning This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis Brought to you by MJ Network, in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce. I would like to welcome New York Times author, Robert Dagoni, and this phenomenal brand new release called Her Deadly Game. Kira Dugan was building a solid reputation as a Seattle prosecutor until her romantic relationship with her senior colleague ended. For the competitive former chess prodigy, returning to her family's failing criminal business law firm to work for her father is the best shot she has. And the rest will tell you more. Good morning, good afternoon. How are you? Welcome to MJ Network. Hey, good morning, good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Hanging in there, trying anyway. So, good, good. This is interesting. Tell us about Kara and how you created her. And I hope you're going to bring her back because that's just me because I think she's great. Yeah, the plan the plan really is to um, to make it a uh, a series, and oh, I'm actually working on the the next book and and what I'm going to do. Really, what I wanted to do, my editor came to me and said um, they they really liked the way I wrote legal thrillers, and um, mm-hmm. would I be interested in writing another legal thriller? And I hadn't really hadn't really written one, uh, you know, a true legal thriller since um, David Sloan, which was many years ago now, um, and I told Gracie that I would um, I would love to do it, but I'd like to do it a little differently um, mm-hmm. in that I didn't want just your your traditional legal thriller. I wanted something that it, it involved the things that I'd become known for, which is police procedurals and family dynamics. Mm. And um, Gracie was involved, was, you know, uh, on board with that idea. And, um, you know, I just sort of started in with some of the things that I knew or that I could research, and and um, I came up with Kira. Well, I'm glad you did because she's really interesting. And, of course, you brought in something that I used to be good at but not great anymore. The fan, my favorite game my dad made me play, and I never beat him, which is really sad. He always he always kinged me, and I, was, I just lost. What can I do? So created. <laughs> Creating the first scene leads a reader to wonder, what about the prologue was what happens next? What, so what do, you, what do you mean? The prologue, how, did, how does that start? You started with the prologue. Oh. How does that start for what's going to happen after? Well, you know, that's one of the things that is part of the puzzle for the reader to figure out. Yeah. You know, I, I basically open with a... Uh, you know, with a murder, and I don't really yeah. give you a lot of insight in, as to what's going to go happen, because no. it's really part of that, that puzzle that I want the reader to, to um, you know, to always have in the back of their mind. You know, how did this all? How does all this fit together? 
Well, I'm not going to tell them. I won't tell them if I figured it out either. So yeah, good. <laughs> who is Cliff Lawson? And tell us about Rossi and Floyd. Who are they? So um, Rossi and Floyd are a um, a partnership, uh, a, a team on the Seattle Homicide, uh, what's called the Violent Crime Section. And, um, you know, they've been working together for, you know, for a long time, partners for a long time. And uh, mm-hmm. they're initially called out to the uh, to the murder that, that uh, or the, the, the death, the murder that takes place at mm-hmm. – um, at Vince LaRusso's, who's a wealthy investment yeah. uh, person. And it, it, so they're called out to the death of his wife, who is um, who's crippled from a horse accident. She's in mm. a she's there and she's been she's been shot in in the back of the head. And they're the two investigating detectives. So tell us about her father and his problems. And then you said that they were called to the house of Vince LaRusso because he was killed. What thing? Well, they were called to the house of Vince LaRusso because his wife is, has been found shot in the yeah. back of the head. Uh, That's right. Uh, Kira um, never intended to go to work for her father, who is a, a, a very well-known Seattle defense attorney named, uh, nicknamed the Irish Brawler um, because mm. he's Irish. He's, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that he does what he needs to win. Uh, he follows the rules, but he bends them. He's not afraid to bend them. Um, but the big thing for Kira was that um, her father is an alcoholic. Uh, he's been a lifelong alcoholic, and um, mm. you know, he's one of the uh, you know one of those people that's a binge drinker. And um, Kira decided at a young age when he showed up at a chess match that she was playing in uh, drunk and embarrassed her that she would never work for him. She doesn't want to work for him. Not only does he run the law firm, but uh, his, her two older sisters, who are who are both, you know, the, they're, they're 10 years and more older than her, so they're mm. sort of like two months, and um, they don't, you know, they don't treat her as a peer. They treat her more as a kid. That, that's horrible. But I know how that feels. I think I was treated as a kid forever. Still am, which is perfectly okay. So... <laughs> When you assess a murder, and I've read thousands of murder books, seriously, and I do my research to figure out if they did it right or wrong. So how do you assess a murder? And the funny part about this one is the security system, why visual and not audio? Shouldn't they have both? No, not always. Uh, Many Mm. security systems in homes do not have audio. Um, I know our house does not have audio. Uh, it simply is. Um, uh, it simply is um, visual. So, um, you know, unless you have a really high-end security system, um, you're not you're not going to have audible on it. Um, mm. And you know, the, the security system is often you know a security system that that only covers a portion of the the home. It doesn't necessarily cover the home 360 degrees, and it doesn't cover the home inside. So. Um, you know, security systems only go so far. I know. It's, it's scary. Well, in this building, we have cameras on each floor. And we have cameras by the mail room because people take my books and steal oh. them. Yes, oh. they do. They stopped doing it for a while, but 
there were some um, interviews that I had to actually buy the book two days before because the book was stolen. Somebody took them. And I think I, I knew who it was, but, you know, you can't prove it. If you have the camera proved it. So that does help. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm, yeah, I'm so popular they want to read what I read. Too bad. So <laughs> this, this, this really got me because, like I said, my dad taught me how to play chess because he knew how to play very well. And then there's me. So why did you include the chess game throughout the novel? Because chess is a very, very difficult game, and you really have to be focused and make sure that you don't lose your king or your queen or anything. Because yeah. if you make the wrong move, you're dead meat. I know that. Yeah, I just I just played a guy that, that worked at Nintendo for mm. 40 years. Two days ago, I was back in South Carolina, and uh, they had a chess board in the hotel, and he said, hey, why don't we play a game? I said, I really don't play. And he, mm. he said, oh, well, let's have fun. And he beat me in about eight moves. Um, my... So it is a very uh, strategic game. And um, the reason I included it is because the best lawyers that I practice law with were also, uh, many of them were also very good chess players. And the reason for that is that lawyers have to be able to adapt to what witnesses do or say, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in a deposition or whether it's in trial. And so they have to constantly be thinking several moves ahead. You know, what's going to happen if I get this answer? What's going to happen if I get that answer? And that's exactly what good chess players do. They don't think about the next move. They think about the next, uh, you know, three or four moves and uh, how they're going to counteract those moves by their opponents. Well, it's scary. My, one of the doctors that used to be at Urgent Care, they don't let there anymore, before you would you can come there, you could sit there half an hour until he was done playing chess was in a competition on the on his computer. Didn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I came in one day and I said, Doctor Tuzi, what are you doing? He says, Wait a minute, do you understand this game? I go, Yes. Yeah. So he made me play him. Of course, I lost, but it was hilarious. <laughs> he says, Now I'll now I'll tell you what you need to know. I go, Thanks a lot. <laughs> it was every time. I mean, he you could wait an hour and he's playing his chess. So wow. tell us about wow. Vince and wealth management. What exactly does he do or did he supposedly do for investors? Well, um, you know, Vince LaRusso is a wealth manager. He's one of those people that, that you invest your money with, and he invested yeah. in, uh, you know, uh, whether it's, um, you know, bonds or whether it's, um, um, you know, in, into uh, other, other forms of investment, stocks, you know, all those things, and uh, you get a return on your money. And, um He's very successful at it, you know. He he um, he's you know one of those guys that has done very well. He's made a lot of money. He lives in a big, expensive house on Lake Washington. Um, he does a lot of charitable work. Um, gives a lot of money to charity. Um, and he's he's um, at a speaking engagement when his wife is uh, murdered in his home, and mm. uh, he's the one who calls in, and the police you know come out to investigate what happened. What is a ghost gun? I read a couple of things about ghost guns. So ghost guns uh, have have more and more started to be um, outlawed in many, many states. But a ghost gun Mm -hmm. uh, is basically a gun that uh, people can get and put it together themselves. Uh, Mm. And they're guns that, uh, you know, can avoid metal detectors uh, and all those things. So it gets around all the rules and laws that are in place now in many, many states about, you know, ownership of a weapon and having to be registered and, and licensed and all those different things. Um, ghost guns was one of the ways that people got around um, the laws. 
that uh, made you document, you know, when you were buying a gun? That's scary because the governor here, I wouldn't even voice my opinion, um, decided to sign a bill a, long t- a couple of months ago that 21-year-olds should be allowed to buy assault rifles. Why? Do they need one? Yeah. And I was like, why yeah. does anybody tell a person that's a teen or whatever, or 21, that they need, an, now they're having buy back the gun as a fair. Does that mean yeah. if you buy back the gun, you can buy someone else's? I mean, really? Did yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's scary. Because so many states allow them to walk around with guns and people get killed for no reason. So Yeah, and a lot of states don't even require that the, the person be licensed to handle a gun. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that obviously as, as a, you know, assault weapons, uh, you know, killings mm-hmm. by the use of assault weapons has began, begun to proliferate uh, in this country. That's one of the things that, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of backlash on it. People are starting to um, people are starting to, to like I said, I know here in the state of Washington, there's a bill in place to try to ban assault weapons. You know, obviously it runs up against uh, the Second Amendment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you can argue, you know, all all they want about, you know, the Second Amendment protects the right to bear arms, but you know that was at a, a point in time uh, that was different than what we have today. And it didn't, you know, you weren't talking about, you know, weapons that are were built basically for the military. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult topic. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those topics that that, um, you know, we all are are having to to come to terms with. There are certainly very good reasons for why people should be allowed to have guns um, to hunt, self protection, and you know, all those things. But at some point, um, you know, the the ability of, of people that are going to do bad things with guns um, needs to be curtailed somehow because, you know, the number of mass killings has just has just gotten to be ridiculous. It's even worse because they're in schools. The six-year-old that yeah. killed this, they tried to kill his teacher. I mean, I worked in a school for a very long time, and I think in those millions of years that I worked there, only one parent did come in with a gun, and I was lucky to get out of the way. Best. Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't named yeah, to no, me. It <laughs> wasn't named to me. I mean, yeah, really, no, it's scary. Scary. I mean, you know, and then there's not enough metal detectors and not enough whatever, so they get in, and sometimes the kids just bring their own guns. The high school kids. So, yeah. tell us a little about Anne, and why would anybody want to shoot poor Anne? Well, I mean that's obviously that's obviously the question. Anne is a uh, yeah. uh, a very bright um, w- woman, and she was um, into horses. And um, she gets thrown during one of her uh, sessions, mm-hmm. and she breaks her neck and ends up, you know, uh, in a wheelchair. And um, you know she's she's living in this house with her husband, and you know all seems all seems well. Uh, and all of a sudden, one day. Um, Husband comes home from a charitable event, and she's been shot. That's sad. So, how did we know that Vince is really a smooth talker? A lot of people fall prey to that, and they believe it. Oh, you're going to do very well, and you know, without me, you wouldn't make all this money. And they actually believe this garbage. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there are a lot of very good, uh, honest um, uh, investment people out there, yeah. you know, I have a friend that invests my money for me, 
And uh, but it is something that you have to do your work on diligently. And and Vince Larusa has been successful. Um, he's made made people a lot of money, and um, you know he's he's one of those people that has a track record. So you know it's a very it's a very um, it's one of those it's one of those things that you just have to do your homework. You know you yeah. have to you have to do your homework and make sure that you know the person that you're working with is reputable and and works for a reputable company and has all those things, but. You know, as as the people that were taken by Bernie Madoff can certainly mm-hmm. attest, sometimes there's not always you, you can't always you know be a a judge uh, uh, you know no matter how much you do um, and get it right. So you know the question becomes, of course, you know, uh, is there more to Vince Russa than the surface, or is 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 he just a, uh, a person that has um, uh, you know? the victim of a of a crime and to to his wife um you know the thing with with uh the killing of a spouse is i think mm. the, the percentage is something like 25% of the time it's it's the husband so you know the yeah. question becomes you know is Vince Russo innocent and is he being framed is there something going on um and or is he you know is he a killer and that's the thing that you know Kira as a defense attorney has to defend him um you know, we have decided that everyone has the right to a defense, and Vince LaRusso is no exception. So, um, you know, he is he a victim, um, or is he guilty? And and you know, he's he's going to be tried, and and that's really kind of where the whole crux of the story comes about. I watch all those programs. You know, killer killer families, um, murder, suicide or accident and all of those. I'm getting really good at it. And yeah. um, <laughs> Unforgettable and all, all of that, and Dateline Unforgettable and all of them. I'm getting really, and yesterday I actually picked out the murderer. I said to my husband, yeah, yeah he did I, it. I got it. I, I got it. Yeah, you could yeah. tell right away that he was guilty. The, the wife was shot, and he supposedly was in the shower, and they blamed it on everybody else, but definitely it took three trials actually to get them, which is insane. So this is the television show that you you were watching. It's real. It's true crime. It really happened. Oh, okay. These are oh, not okay. even fake ones. These are real crimes that actually happened. My favorite wow. is Cold Justice with Kelly Ziegler, and I feel bad for her because they don't always get the person. Sometimes the district attorney just doesn't want to press the charges or whatever. So sometimes yeah. they get them and sometimes they don't. So who is J.P. Harrison, and why does Kira need him? Well, J.P. Harrison is a investigator. Mm. He's a former cop who has retired, and he's become an investigator. And, you know, um, criminal defense attorneys and uh, prosecutors, they use these people because um, a lot of times – they can find, you know, mistakes that the that the police, the detectives have made, and mm. they can capitalize on mistakes. So, JP is a is a, a African American single um, investigator that Kira's firm, her father's firm, has used for a number of years. So, how does he assess the crime scene that other people don't? So, what are the areas that he focuses on more? Well, I don't know if he's focusing on them more. He just comes at them with a different, with a different mm-hmm. eye. 
you know, he knows he's working for the defense, so he's trying to look for anything that's out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. something that is, you know, appears to be remiss. I know. It's, it's amazing. I've read so many of these, and sometimes, like the what book I read um, yesterday from my interview, and at the end of at the end of June, the police missed everything, and they missed the weapon, and they missed the fact that there was a body in the water, and they missed a whole bunch of stuff. And without the investigator, without the the main character, they wouldn't have gotten to until they got him. And they don't get they don't get him so fast. Depends on how fast the DA will let you go to trial, right? And how well you you, yeah. you search warrants on if you have all the information that it doesn't backfire at you. That's the scary part. Yeah, no, and and you know that's that's the thing, uh, especially during the COVID era. You know, yeah, not everything, you know, not everything can can be prosecuted. So, um, you know, prosecutors have a, have a really difficult job, and um, just one of the things that they have to they have to you know come to terms with is, you know, are they going to go after a person? Do they have enough evidence to convict them? So what happens when you have enough? I have to ask this question because it bothers me. What happens when you have enough evidence against the person to convict them, but they have power to override it and they're rich, so they get away with it? That's what really bothers me is when that happens. Well, that's our judicial system, right? Our judicial system is, you know, every person yeah. has the right to a defense. Um, yeah. If you're wealthy, you support a very good defense, and. Um, you know, it's not a perfect system. There are there are faults with it, but you know, it's still the probably the best system in the world. It also depends on how much money you have to give the lawyer. It's scary. So, describe Larousse's home. Why would you tell describe his home, his house? Well, he lives in a very wealthy area. You know, he lives on mm. on the lake in Lake Washington, which is uh, which is a very wealthy area, and um, you know, he, he it's clearly a reflection of how successful he's been as an investment person. Well, who are these two people? Um, where is my Sid Eves and Lisa Bennett? What do they have to do with anything? Um, who was the first person? Sid Evans and Lisa Bennett. Oh, who are they? Yeah, you know, again, this is a situation where, you know, when the police are doing their investigation, they're going to talk to everybody that, you know, that knew mm-hmm. the victim and they want to find out, you know, uh, everything that they can. So, you know, um, Sid Evans was a lawyer for, started as a lawyer for um, uh, Anne LaRusse's family. Um, and um, he, they begin, as the police begin to investigate, they begin to find that um, Anne LaRusse had brought Sid Evans out to change her will. And that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe... It, isn't as hunky dory between her and her husband as appears on the surface. Um, and the other person is uh, is a personal friend of hers who also happens to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Both of those people saw Anne Larusa shortly before. Um, you know, the police uh, found that she'd been um, she'd been killed. Well, you never know who you can trust and who you can't. So why does right. Kira want to meet with them? And as a lawyer, how do you defend someone if you think they're guilty? Well, I once had a friend of mine who who um, he he handled something like thirty five capital murder cases in Portland, which means 
you know, those are cases where, you know, if the person is convicted, they'll be put to death. And he mm. told me that he wasn't necessarily defending the person as much as the defending the right, you know, to a vigorous defense. And so he, his job was to make sure that the prosecution, you know, followed all the rules that they need to follow uh, if they're going to convict the guy. Um, and if, uh, if they, you know, if they don't, that's not that's not his responsibility. You know what was scary? I read a book, um, trying to think of the name. The guy's name was Barry. It was called Brutish. And it was about a blackhead that was accused of murder and put on death row and killed, and they found out he was innocent later. That drove me crazy. That was, that was like, yeah, so sad, because that happens a lot, doesn't it? Well, I don't know if it happens a lot, but yeah. it, certainly, it certainly happens. And, you know, it certainly happens um, to people of color. Um, yeah. You know, and and that's that, you know that that's a whole other debate out there whether or not the so, system is really colorblind or not. Well, there's a whole book, a lot of books by that also. There's color lines. Sometimes it's even religion lines too. It's not always color. It's just race or whatever or, or age or something. So I'm, I'm thinking of doing a, review, um, a panel on age discrimination. I find that when people talk to people that are over 25 or 30, um, they talk to you like you don't know anything. <laughs> or they think yeah. that they're far superior, that you can't figure it out. So that bothers me too. So how does somebody become a prime suspect in the way of the death? And who is the prime suspect in the in the, in the death? Um, can you say that? I didn't quite catch that whole thing. Fran, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Can you? Yeah, can you repeat that question? You know, I'm getting like static in the phone. That's why. Who is the primary yeah, suspect? Who do they think is is the primary suspect in the way of in the well, death? Well, I mean, whenever there's a spouse that's been killed, the, the police always look to the mm-hmm. boyfriend or to the to the husband or to the spouse. They all that's where they always start. So I know, but sometimes they don't look further, right? They just automatically assume. Like when I watch these programs, it's automatically the husband that did it. And then, of course, they badger the husband. They badger the, the person until they say, yeah, I did it, I did it. And sometimes they didn't do it. So how does a person avoid getting sucked in or coerced to not not not, not to say, you know, I, did, I didn't do it, and then they admit they did it just to shut up the police? That's the scary. Well. The first thing they always tell you is, shut up and hire an attorney. Well, some of these people can't afford to, yeah, but you can't walk, you shouldn't walk into a lawyer's office like that either, yeah. So, what is Kara's process? How does she work the case? Um, You know, she works the case much like an investigator and a police officer. You know, she wants to talk to all the witnesses that mm. uh, that the police have spoken with that there are rules which require the prosecution to turn over that's discovered that they possess. And uh, she has the right to see it. Her client has the right to see it. And, um, you know, from that, she's going to try to talk to the people that the police talk to um, and, uh, you know, go to the scene and have her own investigator conduct, you know, tests and all those different things and, you know, try to find a a defense that will work for her. 
example, how did you use Carol likes to play chess with somebody? How does she use the game of chess to add to the suspense of the story? Well, chess is a game of suspense uh, to begin with, and mm-hmm. she plays online. And as she plays online, she begins to to realize that the person she's playing, who she doesn't know who the person is, she just knows they go by a, a name called the Dark Knight, and you know she goes by the name Seattle Pollen Player. And she's playing this game, and, you know, she begins to kind of see that the game begins to par- uh, parallel the uh, the investigation and, and the trial eventually. Mm-hmm. So how does, her, does her father come into this at all? Does he come to help her? Does he talk to her? Yeah, her father is um, is very involved. He's, um, you know, he's not the attorney he once was, but he's still a very seasoned defense attorney and he works the case with her, but only after he promises that he won't have a a drop of alcohol while he, while the case is going on. Does his wife believe him? There's a a mother there, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Kira's Kira's mom is, um, no, not heavily involved in, in the book, but you know, she's, uh, he's married and, and, um, you know, they have a, a, still have a strong family bond. Well, I forgot this question. I have it on my paper back here. Um, who is Ambrose? So Miller Ambrose is a prosecutor, mm. and he also happens to be a person who Kira had a relationship with um, well, he was the one before who... she left the prosecutor's office. And, um, you know, she made the mistake of having a bad, it's a bad relationship. And, um, you know, she made a mistake when she was young. And um, now he comes back and he's, he's not, you know, he's happy, he's not happy with her because, you know, they used to go out. And, uh, um, you know, he, he's going to be the prosecutor who tries the case that she's now the defense. He does everything in his power to make her look bad, too. I know. I remember. He does everything in his power. He's like yeah. one of these macho people. So tell us about Judge Hung. What about him? What kind of a judge is he? Was he honest or, uh, or did he take sides? Well, no. I mean, he's just, you know, he's uh, it's a she. Um, she's just, you know, she's a, she's a prosecutor's judge. She's a former prosecutor. And, you know, Kira's mm-hmm. not expecting any favors from her. Well, no, no, no judges are whatever. I know. And um, it, it, it's it's scary. It's scary. So, how did you create the, the the scene, the interactions in the courtroom? How do you make them so they're believable so that people understand how a trial is run? Because that's the hardest well, thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that that you know um, that we need all need to, writers need to understand is that, and I you know I tried mm-hmm. cases, I didn't try a lot of cases, but I tried some cases, and and the thing about trials is that ninety. 90- Five percent of trials are boring, uh, but yeah. that's not the part that you write about. Um, you want to write about the the you know the five percent that are um, that, that that's the exciting part of the trial. So as a writer, what I do is I don't write the ninety five percent that are of the trial is boring. I write the I write the other part, you know, the part that's interesting, that means something, that people are going to be um, interested in reading. You know which parts I hate? 
is when they start with the depositions and you read as to have to listen to them answer all the questions. And they depose yeah. this one and they depose that one. And if you've ever been deposed and I know how that feels, um, it gets to you. And everybody thinks a deposition is like five minutes. It could take eight hours. It could take a lot longer than that. And oh, yeah, it, all depends that, it all depends on how brave you are to li- to answer. And I found that um, they sometimes even the the other other side will ask questions and say, "Did you answer this question before? Do you remember the answer?" And it kills them when you remember everything. It's it's kind of oh, yeah. hard. Oh, I'm, I'm sure oh, it is. I'm sure it's difficult. It, tell me about it. <laughs> so, how, what is what is your process for deciding? You know the 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 murder web the murder or the basis of of the of the book. How did you decide? And then of course I'm not going to say the surprise ending. That was like oh my god. You know I I I just I don't I write organically, so I don't mm-hmm. know the ending of a story uh, mm-hmm. when I'm writing. Um, uh, I don't I don't learn it until until I've written it. So. Um, you know, I always kind of just just go with with how the story is unfolding, and I let the characters kind of, you know, dictate how a story is going to be told. Um, so for me, a lot of times the ending is also a surprise, and that's one of the the, the joys of writing. That's one of the fun parts of writing for me, is um, you know, is not knowing the ending. What about your editor? I'm trying not to ask too many pointed questions, you know, so they don't give away any more of the plot. Because I read the ending and I'm saying, oh my God, that I I sort of figured it out, but I wasn't sure. So yeah, wh- how do how do you decide? Um, wh- how do you decide the, the the sequence of events? Or how do you decide? You know your process of of writing. You said you write it. You know you just write it. What happens? Do you ever change the ending? Or does your editor ever say to you, you need to change the ending? Because there was some one of the authors very famous said that he had to rewrite the book because the editor didn't like the ending. I said, you got to um, be kidding me. Yeah, I don't really have, I, I've never really had an experience where I had to rewrite the ending. Mm-hmm. But you know, my editor will have me do things, you know, tone things down, maybe not make it so obvious, maybe change something here or there. You know, they're they're involved in that process. Um, but I've never... I've never had a situation where I had to, you know, rewrite the book or do anything like that. Um, but, you know, um, I'm also a big believer in, in allowing my editors to do their jobs, and their job is to hopefully try to make my book better um, than when I first turned it in. I, I agree with you, because I had my book before the last one. My last one came out in January. And the one before that, I had an independent publisher. I won't see which one. And I said, could you help me make the plot stronger? Can you help me add to the chapter so they're longer? Oh, they're fine the way they are. Now, he was asking for help. I was saying, like, could you please? I knew it was okay. It was called Population Zero, a world without people. And it was a world full of ice and snow and sand and no water. And I invited a yeah. dead person to come back and experience it, and I wanted them to help me make it better. And they said it was wonderful. And I, yeah. I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. So before I forget, tomorrow, New York Times author Don Bentley will be here with Forgotten War. 
On Monday, a true story that made me cry. Maya Oba will be there taking back my soul. At 16, she was sold by her father into slavery to this man that she was married to. And what he did to her was horrendous. On the third, another person we love, Patrick Moore, 27 Days. On the eighth, the author of The Liquid Shade of Blue. The tenth, I'm not sure. I didn't get the book yet. On the 16th, Alan Zendransky. On the 17th, David Putnam. And on the 18th, New York um, FBI agent Mark Bounton. Does your guy lie? The 22nd, D.P. Lyle. And the 24th, I just got it this morning, Dead Drop by M.P. Handler. That's just me. Oh, wait a minute. I can't forget the 25th, Janie Ann Krantz, Amanda Quick, The Bride Will White. I mean, I can't believe it. But that's just me. So how do you create the titles? And when am I getting another Tracy book? Um, the titles are often um collaborative process with my publishing team. Um, mm. And so sometimes sometimes they like my title and sometimes they don't. And But they have, they're, very, they're very good at what they do. Um, and the next Tracy book will be out, let's see, we're in April. I believe it's coming out this summer. I didn't get the one before that. I really didn't. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, because Megan is Megan is handling it, right? She's the best. Um, really Megan, good. my publicist, but also um, Danelle Catlett, who's my publicist at Amazon. I know I see on Amazon too, but she's she's yeah. the one that asked me to read to read this book. Not that I wasn't going to ask for it anyway. Now, how do you create? This is the other thing. I mean, at the end, how did how did you bring in? What happens at the end with Akira and Chess? Does, you know, if you can't, you don't want to give it away. But how does it come to be to play at the end? Because she's so into Chess too. Um. Yeah, I'm not really sure how to how to answer that. I mean, um, mm. you know, I mean, there's there's there's, there's definitely that's definitely one of the surprises that you know, is at the end of the book is, you know, who is, who is Kira playing against? And that's just something that, you know, hopefully the readers will be intrigued by um, and will, you know, try to try to figure out. That's part Are of you going to put Chess in the next one too? Or just in just in the Kira books? You don't put them in the Tracy books, so I don't notice them in there. No, it, it, would, um, it would just be in the, in the Kira books. I read the one about Chess also. The other first one that you wrote. So how is Kira different from Tracy? Because Tracy tries to solve murders too. Well, um, they have a lot of similarities. They're both, you know, strong women with um, a strong sense of right and wrong and and morals. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they're both trying to do a, their job uh, to the best of their abilities. Um, and so they actually have a, a lot in common. You know, they're different in that, and they also have some skeletons in their closet that they're each trying to deal with. Um, they're different in that, you know, obviously Tracy is a, um, you know, is a police investigator who tries to solve crimes and, and you know, have get evidence to convict the people that are responsible. Mm. And Kira is the opposite. You know, Kira is trying to, you know, look for evidence that will exonerate her client. What would happen if Kira got a client that she knew very well was guilty? How do you defend somebody like that? that that's even well, scarier. I, earlier, 
you know, um, it's part of our process. It's part of our legal system that everyone is entitled to a defense. And, um, you know, what was told to me by a good friend that uh, uh, was a defense attorney is that he's not necessarily defending the person, he's defending the Constitution of the United States. Well, I know that Philip Margolin comes on my show a lot, and he's really good at that, too. And he said that. I don't he's think he ever lost the case. He's the greatest. Yeah. He's, um, and, he's my buddy. He's the guy that, that yeah. told me that. I figured as much. You see, I got that. But there's another criminal defense attorney that was on my show in February, Isaac Wright Jr. And he's become one of the best criminal defense attorneys, but he takes the people that are wrongly accused. And then he decides whether he's going to defend them or not. And he, he gave me a, a whole case of how you deal with, as a criminal defense attorney, he says, is the most important person in the courtroom because they're the ones that you're listening to. They don't listen to the, to the prosecutor, they're listening to him. So how do you get the judge, if you're defending somebody that's guilty or that's you know, up for murder, so how do you get the judge to hear what you're saying? How do you get them to say, well, maybe he's not guilty? Of course, it's up to the jury sometimes. Well, that's the thing is it's not the judge's responsibility to convict or to um, mm. uh, find innocent. The judge's responsibility is to make sure that the attorneys follow the Constitution and follow the trial procedure and follow the rules that, that govern them so that the person who's been accused gets a fair trial. And you, you think, but then you don't know. You could probably tell. I mean, I can tell when the judge is on the other side of the on the other side of the fence. That's what's really scary. So, yeah. what did, um, I'm trying to, oh, I'm looking on the back of my book over here. I have this whole thing. Uh, this book is going to my dermatologist in two weeks because his wife huh. wants all the books I read. And I'm serious. And the only Wonderful. reason I get in a yeah, I don't get it. I don't have to wait. I had to go yesterday for something, and I handed him 50 books and. She doesn't wait. She's in front of everybody. My appointment could be three hours from whatever, and I go first because I bring him books. Actually, he wanted yours, and I have it in my hand, and he wanted Daniel Silver's book, which I, which he got too. Oh, that's great company. Yeah, it is. I, and I got a copy too because they want me to review it, but thank God they sent me large print. Because forget that. So, but I, I noticed yeah. that some of the books that are being made, the font is so small that I can't review them. That's how that's how bad it is. That's how small they are. So throughout the book, what role does Lisa play and what role does Sid play? And, does, and well, how does Kara um, feel about them? They're both, you know, they're they're both they're the two people to to see Anne LaRusso. They're the last two people to see Anne LaRusso alive. So what Kira has to do is has to figure out if, you know, one of them could have murdered her or um, mm. if, if if not, or, you know, what they were there for, why they were at Anne LaRusso's house, what they talked to her about, what her mental state was, how she seemed, um, you know, all those things, because they're the last two people to see Anne LaRusso alive. I don't know why anybody would want to kill Anne LaRusso, but maybe Anne LaRusso was smarter than everybody thought which is really amazing, too. Now, part of the book you did in, like, a timeline... And serious dates. How did you decide to do that? And of course, the with the chess game. I, I can't put that part down. It's great. How did you create the chess game in the book? Or is it just you made um, it up? I do not play. I do not play chess. 
Um, I'm a very poor chess player. But um, I called up a friend of mine who put me in touch with a grandmaster. And uh, uh, the grandmaster, I told him what I wanted. I wanted a... I wanted a game that was an actual game, a real game, so that when, you know, people are reading the book, especially people that love chess, that they'll maybe even take out their chess boards and see if it's a, a, a real game. Uh, and um, I told them what I was trying to do, that I wanted a chess game that would sort of mimic the investigation and the trial. And uh, he's, he put together this chess game for me, which it actually turned out to be with some, you know, with some modifications, um, turned out to be a chess game that uh, that he played at one of the U.S. United States uh, championships when mm. he was becoming a master. That's amazing, because in, in order in order to play play a game of chess, in order to put a game of chess, it has to be real. So I'm sure that there are people that are chess masters that went through the game book and said, "Well, that couldn't happen. I couldn't do that. That would never happen." And you want to make it make it credible. So how does how does she interact after a while throughout the whole thing with Ambrose? Because after a while he's trying to to one up her and make her look like a fool, and she's not going to do that. Let's let him do that. Yeah, no, she's a, she's a very good lawyer. You know, she's she's um, she's mm-hmm. much like her father, intuitive, and she's able to adjust on the fly. And um, you know, she's going to go at this case as hard as she can, and she's going to try to rise above some of Miller Ambrose's tactics. Um, but, um, you know, he's not a good guy. That's that's bad. Who is Patsy? Patsy is her father. He's the Irish brawler. That's her father, right? So yeah. what made him become such an alcoholic? And how come he wouldn't stop drinking? Some people just drink because they are depressed. I don't drink ever. I drink coffee, people. That's it. That's my that's my mode of appetite. Coffee. Yeah, uh, you know who knows? Um, who knows? I had a, I had a grandfather that was an alcoholic. He was a binge drinker. He was also a very successful um, dentist. And you know, there's there's obviously a lot of reasons why why people drink. It can be chemical. It can be social. It can be a lot of a lot of different things. You know, in this particular instance, um, Patsy was a, a guy that. Uh, started drinking when he was 17 uh, with mm. his um, his buddies, and you know I have I have people I went to high school with that you know they they never stopped um, they they always continued on. So alcoholism is an illness; it's a disease, um, and I think you know people need to understand that um, it's not necessarily something that you know somebody wants, but like a lot of illnesses that that we have, um, it's something that they can't control. And they need to get help for some people do and and some people don't well, some people deny they even have a, have a problem that's even sadder yeah. between the yeah. ones that drink and have drugs. I know I've seen it in in families of my mother's friends from they were, when i was she was you know before she died, and they refused to uh, admit that they had a problem and that, that that's even sad. I have a cousin that bothers me because she takes opiates every day. And I said to her, oh, wow. why are you taking oxycodone, Vicodin, Percocet, Dilaudin, and morphine, and that's just five every day at the same time? Yeah, that's, that's, it, that's sad. Um, you know, obviously that sounds like that's somebody that needs to have some help. Well, I said that to her, and she said her doctor gives her the prescriptions every month, the highest amount. 100 milligrams yep. for each one, and she has to have a raise. And I said, that's probably why they don't help. 
because yeah. after a while, it doesn't help. And she says to me, well, you know, you should take this or that. I said, I'll stick with Motrin. Never. Yeah. It, uh, never. Uh-uh. It's, it's scary. So before before I ask the last couple of questions in here, um, what, what should people, how do you know when a trial is being run, how do you know that basically it's being run? Are there judges that ever decide beforehand in their head in other words, if if, a, if the jury says the person is not guilty, can the judge override it if the judge thinks that he's the person's guilty? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, you know, I think that I think that burden would be on the prosecution if they felt yeah. that there was you know, something wrong. They they could ask the judge for a, a verdict notwithstanding the decision, but. Um, you know, my my experience and my belief is that mm. most judges are very reluctant to override a jury decision. Um, you know, a good example of that is the O.J. Simpson case. You know, I think I think a lot of people believed and and knew that you know O.J. Simpson was guilty, um, but you know the the judge did not step in and and override the jury's decision. Um, judges are very respectful of jury decisions and. You know, if if the result isn't obtained, um, uh, I I don't I don't think uh, I, I, they may have the power, but I I think it would be rare that a judge would step in. What happens when you have a case? Doesn't matter what kind of a case, and the defendant or the prosecuting or the other side wants to know, or the plaintiff wants to know something, and what happens when the lawyer doesn't share the information? And they make decisions for the person, and they're not aware. So how do you deal with that? I mean, what would well, happen? I mean, Vince, Vince wanted, you know, her to, you know, her to help, whatever. What happens if somebody overrides their client and says, "Well, I'm going to make this decision or sign the forms," and you don't know? What do you do then? Well, I mean, you know, if you find out about it and, and they've done something that you didn't want them to do, you know, mm-hmm. obviously you fire them and get a new lawyer. Um, mm. Bring a have lawyer bring a motion to the court. You know, there's there's a number of different things that you know that uh, that a, 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 client, a client can do um, if a lawyer has mm. you know if a lawyer has really not been honest with them. The lawyer is also subject to sanctions. That's kind of hard, but I know exactly what I'm saying, and it's it's amazing because sometimes they just sort of like say, well. I, I'm going to sign this for you, and you don't have to do this, and you know, and then it goes against what you really want to do. It's really scary. So where are we going to find yep. Kara next? Um, she'll be back in the courtroom. That's what she does now. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm working on a, a new book. I don't really have. I'm not really that far along, so I don't mm-hmm. have any, you know, secrets to to share at the moment. Uh, except that, you know, I, um, it'll be another case, another courtroom case. And she's going to more and more begin to uh, establish herself as the dominant lawyer in the law firm. What about Tracy? What is she? Where did, you said your book is coming out in the summertime, right? Uh, actually, and... I, just, I looked it up because I was I was curious. Um, the book is actually going to be coming out next December. It's called It's called One Last Kill, mm-hmm. uh, and it'll, it'll be next, next December. Well, I'm going to make sure that they send me a pre-release copy. But you don't yeah. use Ocean View Publishing, right? No, I don't. Oh, well, they send them to me even when I don't know I'm getting them. 
which makes life so much easier for me. <laughs> I'll make sure I get yeah, it. Okay. Don't worry. But where can we find about all, all of your books and stuff? And this has been really interesting, let me tell you. Um, so all of my books you can find online, uh, either at my website, which is um, uh, robertdagonibooks.com, or on the Amazon book, uh, book site, which is Robert. Uh, you just go to Amazon and type in Robert Dagoni Books, and you'll be, you'll be able to find my, my page there, and uh, all my stuff is there. Well, I will be doing the pro- promo. I'm going to put a, a fix a misspelling over there that somebody put. And then I will send Megan the link so that you have it and you can put it out and tell everyone that you are on MJ Network. With, I, my nephew changed the title of this, of this uh, show to Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network. And he's put me on Spotify and Apple iTunes and everywhere. I don't have to do anything anymore. Yeah, that's, 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 I have a I have a daughter who just graduated from college, and uh, I'm using her yeah. to, to help me with my social media. They, you know, young people have a they 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 know a lot more than I do about all the social media things. Well, DJ put me on all over the place, and he tweeted your show this morning everywhere, and people are retweeting it. So that's why oh, that's I don't good. pay him. He's my I'm the the yeah. aunt gets it for free, <laughs> finally. But thank you yeah, so no, much. You're welcome. Thank you, Fran. As always, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's it's fun. And if you do, you do panels ever? Um, I have done some panels in the past. I usually do them at um, you know at uh, you know book events like you know a, a writers conference or things like that. Mm. No, I've been, I'm going to do one with six people. How I did this, I don't know. On May 11th, we're talking about questioning skills and different types of questions that people ask that authors don't want to answer, the type of questions that they do want to answer. I did it because I did um, a show with my um, reading professor from Lehman College on April 13th. We talked about questioning skills for children, uh, grades K to 12. That's my field, reading and writing specialist. So thank you so much. This has been fun. Everybody, it's a beautiful day outside. Everybody stay safe. Robin, thank you so much. Everybody have a great day and bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.